for the week of August 2nd, 2020. This is Star Wars TV Talk, where we dive deep into every Star Wars TV and Disney Plus streaming series, as well as all the latest news coming out of Lucasfilm. In this episode, we are going to discuss the nine-part audio drama podcast of the alleged Colin Trevorrow and Derek Connolly episode nine script of Duel of the Fates, as well as news regarding the upcoming Star Wars Disney Plus projects. Mm -hmm. All 15 of them. And John, how are you doing? (laughs) Good. Long time no talk. It has been a while we had the privilege of working on the Duel of the Fates after show podcast, Talking Fates, in which we got to interview the talent behind this nine-part podcast. Mm-hmm. You, of course, can listen to those episodes over on the Duel of the Fates podcast feed. However, today, John and I wanted to wrap up our thoughts on the production. Yeah, we've been asking a lot of questions, but we haven't just kind of had a chance to kind of do it our style and, and just sort of break it down for what it means to us. I think it'd be fun now that we've heard all nine parts. Um, and when this cast drops, people will actually be able to listen to the full unabridged version of the full radio drama in just one sitting as a, an episode on our feed, as well as on the duel of the fates uh, official podcast feed. So it's out there to be had. Um, so at this point, we're assuming that everyone who wants to have heard it has probably already heard it. So we can just, you know, go spoiler heavy and, and just give our take. Of course. Yeah, we are not going to hold back from any spoil. Not at this point. Because, I mean, there's so much to talk about that even we didn't even get to talk about because so much happened in this script and so much happened in the audio drama. But, John, what was your biggest takeaway from this version of Episode 9? I think my biggest takeaway, uh, and I think it kind of uh, sort of crystallized in my thinking right around our last episode of Talking Fates. You know, once we kind of heard the end of it and we, we got all of those like finale moments, you know, like we had the climax for Ray and then we had, you know, well, what's going on with our other heroes and do they even know where Ray is? And then Ray's on the ethereal plane. And it's like mm-hmm. when we got to that point where, where they're trying to put a bow on all of the little threads that are going on, that's when I kind of realized what this script should mean to Star Wars, or at least, you know, in my opinion, what it means to me, um, basically like this is a, a super early draft in the process. So it's very sprawling. You know, they're throwing a lot of stuff at the wall, trying to figure out what feels Star Warsy, what makes sense for the characters, and, you know, how do we get some sort of organic narrative to flow through it? So what we're seeing is uh, a lot of ideas, but not a lot of um, uh, pairing back of those ideas and, and trying to shape them into something a little more cohesive. And because of that, I, I feel like this is a, a great way to sort of spur the imagination of star Wars fans to, to get a sense of what could have been, but because it was so early in the process, I think what we have to do is kind of try and, and use it sort of just as here's the themes and here's the, the imagery of what was in Trevorrow's head. And then we have to use our imagination and kind of what we understand about the movie making process where, you know, you make a movie once on the page and then you make it in the field and then you make it in the editing bay. So where this would have gone in an alternate universe is anybody's guess, but I feel like I have a clear sense of what could have been. And it's very satisfying to know that there was a version of episode nine, because as everyone's well aware, I wasn't super thrilled (laughs) with the rise of Skywalker. Um, I feel like this one hits a lot of the, the beats that I wanted rise of Skywalker to touch on and dwell a little bit more on the arcs of characters that rise of Skywalker just didn't have time to touch. Like, especially Finn, like 
it, it makes so much sense that if he starts as a stormtrooper, the ultimate um, victory for him would be to save his brother, so to speak, and kind of bring them to the fight. And I think that that's like a brilliant idea and really fresh. Like, well, not fresh because we see that all the time in Star Wars. Like that, that was basically every episode of the Clone Wars. Um, but it just it felt very good for that sort of a, a theme to be brought to a head in the ninth episode of Star Wars. So there were a lot of little things that I think Duel of the Fates was just starting to scratch the surface of what really could have worked great. And for that, I I just found it a very rousing and enjoyable experience to just play what if and uh for that i'm i'm glad that it was released whoever released it, i i think their motives were pure because <laughs> mm-hmm. i think this is something that a lot of people in the fandom can use to um you know just get the the culmination of the skywalker saga that feels right to them and, and everyone deserves that so if rise of skywalker works great you know people get that and for the people that it didn't work for now they have something else they can hang their hat on and i just I think that's a nice thing for the fandom. Yeah. And you don't have to ever watch Rise of Skywalker ever again if you don't want to. Like, we sure. have that freedom that's... to never watch it. And I think that the future of Star Wars, this trilogy, and even the saga as a whole, I don't know if much of it is actually going to matter in the new films. Like, I think Disney yeah. might be getting away from making sure everything connects and making sure that everything goes back to, you know, the original characters, because that's what this trilogy did. That's what this trilogy wanted to do. They wanted to tie the bow on the Skywalker saga. It was obviously marketed that way. Like, this is the right. end of the Skywalker saga. So I think Disney is getting away from that. So you never have to watch the movie again if you didn't like it. <laughs> yes. um, and so that and that shouldn't necessarily be a controversial thing. I mean, I could already hear Twitter trolls coming after me over, you know, that statement. But, you know, you don't have to do that. And the nice thing about fandoms is you can love certain aspects of fandoms and then mm. also not like certain aspects of it. And I think that's where. Twitter has been kind of the demon in disguise <laughs> here where it's like, no, we all have to agree and love everything. Right. It's like you don't. And that's OK. Um, but, yeah, I think the biggest takeaway for me uh, was one, the tone. I think mm-hmm. this tone was very, very different. And the closest we got to it in the saga so far was, I think, the Revenge of the Sith, where it was really dark tone throughout most of that film. You mm-hmm. obviously see Anakin you know, burn alive, which is really disturbing in that sense. And then, of course, in this script, there was in this draft of it, of course, Ray was blinded by Kylo Ren in a very gruesome way. Uh, but yeah, those things, um, I echo what you said about Finn, because I think that Finn and Rose especially yes, yeah. were missed in what we got. I think that there was so much more potential there. And Yes, he should have led this uprising. We got like hints of this. Like we saw some of like these, uh, not necessarily Easter eggs, but hints where they wanted to bring in this kind of version of Finn that inspired stormtroopers. I mean, we got Mm. that in the Rise of Skywalker. So we see that these things were very much in place and were inspired by it. Uh, So, yeah, I think that would have been amazing to see on screen him actually leading this uprising. But yeah, another <laughs> thing, and this is kind of a negative thing, and I'm usually the positive one in no. this group. Well, um, obviously, this is an early draft. It's not supposed yeah. to be perfect. There's there's certainly critiques to be made. Well, it's not my critique on the script itself, because oh. I, I think I, because I'm fine with both of them. I, I think I really like the Ray Palpatine thing mm. a little more than most people did. Okay. But what this showed me, and this script showed me, was... 
we came off of The Last Jedi, Ryan Johnson, super original Star Wars film. Now, you can have your criticisms about it. It was completely <laughs> different. It was his own thing. It was a Ryan Johnson movie. Um, and then this felt like it was going to be a very Colin Trevorrow movie as well. And I don't think The Rise of Skywalker was as J.J. Abramsy as <laughs> The Force Awakens. Sure. And where I'm going with this is... I think I'm losing hope on ever seeing another Ryan Johnson Star Wars project mm. after seeing yeah. the, this script, seeing how different it was going to be and how even reminiscent it was going to be of Ryan Johnson's thing. And we saw all of this scrapped for no other reason than The Last Jedi did not perform the way that Disney wanted it to. I think that uh, that he's gone. I don't think he's yeah. working on a Star Wars project. Yeah, I... I <sighs> obviously there's shareholders to consider. So studios have to be very delicate in how they let out this kind of information. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, he's got a reputation too, and commitments have been made and, and announced and stuff. So it does seem like they've been walking it back. You know, he's been very nonchalant on Twitter about, you know, people asking him, are you still working on it? He's like, ah, you know, they're talking over there. So I'm sure I'll hear about something sooner or later. Like he's been very much, uh, distancing himself in a way by just saying like, yeah, I mean, whatever they want, you know, I'm happy to do it, but you know, I got my knives out stuff going on too. So whatever. Um, I think you're absolutely right. R Rise of Skywalker wouldn't have worked so hard to bury <laughs> last Jedi, you know, in, in certain respects and kind of unravel some of the, the things that he established. If there was still hope that, you know, uh, a Ryan Johnson vision for star Wars was something that Lucasfilm wanted to double down on. So yeah, this, this script was written, uh, well, it was written before uh, Carrie Fisher's passing, which means right. it was before or right around the time that Last Jedi was coming out, right? Uh, end of 2016. Yeah, well, in the way that they did it after, you know, of course, the stuff happened with J.J. Abrams, where it was a, kind of a, a negative parting of ways. Um, you know, Disney took the approach on, OK, well, let's have Johnson do episode uh, episode eight and then let's have Trevorrow do episode nine and so right. they kind of did it where it was reminiscent of the original trilogy where a different director did each one but yeah sure. I mean this was all done I before Carrie Fisher's passing right so so at that point everything Lucasfilm had seen from Ryan Johnson they were loving you know he was mm -hmm. easy to work with they loved that he was thinking outside the box and trying to really challenge star Wars fans. Like that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to kill the past. <laughs> they were trying to, you know, take star Wars in new directions, kind of open up what a star Wars movie could be. And so they were totally thrilled with them and they thought it was all great. And nobody understood that, you know, this backlash was coming from the fandom. Uh, so because of that, at this point in the process, why wouldn't Trevorrow be embracing everything that Ryan Johnson was setting up in his script and try and carry those through to conclusion? Cause at that point, there was no notion that any of that wouldn't fly with the fans or, you know, there need to be uh, another discussion to be had about where we want to take the, the, the third act of this trilogy. So yeah, it, it gives you a sense of where Lucasfilm was at at the time, which is really interesting to try and, you know, dissect from all this. Um, but yeah, so much, so much could have been, you know, if mm -hmm. things were different and, you know, episode eight was received different, it's <laughs> you, you could ponder on it forever if you wanted, but I'm just glad that, you know, we get this little glimpse through the script of where uh, Colin Trevorrow's thinking was at, because I think that that's just a fascinating notion of, you know, where this story could have gone. 
Well, one of the things that has interested me, and this was uh, sparked by our guest, um, Kyle from Tumbling Saber, mm-hmm. who basically said he would like to see a behind-the-scenes look, have a, a novel on <laughs> yes. the behind-the-scenes, and we're not going to get It'll that never because, happen. of course, he's acknowledging the negativity here. But that sparked my interest, and I went back and I started watching all of the behind-the-scenes stuff from this latest trilogy. So I mm-hmm. watched uh, Force Awakens, I watched The Last Jedi, and then, of course, The Rise of Skywalker. And you can see the tone on set shift, even though it's very much like, yeah, we're not going to say anything bad because, of course, this is going on the special features thing. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, from The Force Awakens, you it's the same crew that worked on The Rise of Skywalker, the same bad robots people. <laughs> right. And they're not wearing nearly as much bad robot merchandise as they were in the special features in The Rise of Skywalker. Sure. And then in The Last Jedi, in this middle piece, Everyone, like you said, was ecstatic about it. They mm. were super excited. Everyone was, you know, anticipating the best. Kathleen except Mark Kennedy Hamill. was except Mark Hamill. Except, <laughs> right. Um, but they were all just kind of, yes. you know, super excited. And Kathleen Kennedy herself was just like, oh, my gosh, we made this amazing thing. I can't wait for people to see it because right. it's going to be incredible. And then we have what happened. And so, yeah. Um, I think that's really my biggest takeaway from uh, seeing and listening to this uh, script from Duel of the Fates. Of course, the audio performance is outstanding, um, all done remotely, which is super impressive when you think about the mm-hmm. technical difficulties that can come about from recording remotely. So applause to uh, Jamie Dew over there who put it all together. Yes. And uh, yeah, the the murderous row of talent from up uh, the Toronto area that he recruited to help him with that. Uh, it is a fascinating listen and it's, it's the best insight we're ever going to get on where the thinking was at in Lucasfilm at the time. So on so many levels, it is definitely worth checking out. So I guess, uh, you know, we'll give it one last plug, uh, search for duel of the fates in any of your podcast apps or go to duel of or duvra D E W V R E.com and, uh, find that podcast. It's a good rainy afternoon listening. Now, of course, COVID-19 affected a ton of things. And one of those things that usually we get Star Wars news dropping was Star Wars Celebration that has been canceled for this year. And of course, we're going to hopefully get it um, in 2021. But this also affected the films. And a lot of these films, all of the films, have been pushed back between 2023 and 2027. And I am still surprised that people are complaining about waiting that long because I'm just like, how long have you been a Star Wars fan? Yes. <laughs> Anything less than 16 years is a win. So there's not really much to talk about here. They're obviously still doing multiple things. Uh, we talked about Taika Waititi doing his own thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we don't know exactly what it, this is going to be. Not much was released on that. Hence are it's going to be, of course, reminiscent of that high republic is what they're calling it. But honestly, we don't really know what's going on. But the positive news is we have a lot of television projects coming about our way and a lot of Emmy nominations for the stuff we've already had. So Mandalorian season one nominated Mm -hmm. for 15 Emmys. That's significant. So, John, are there any nominations that stood out to you? I think there's two that are definite obvious nominations that I'm glad made the cut because I would have been disappointed if I hadn't seen them. So when I was looking through the list, I was specifically looking to see if they caught these two, because I think they're well worth it. The first one, uh, Ludwig Gorenson, who did the the score for the whole series. I think that 
he definitely should be in the running. If you watch the uh, Disney gallery documentary on the making of Mandalorian season one, they have a whole episode dedicated to just his process, who he is, his influences, how he approaches composing music and just the giddy delight he had in being able to be involved in this production and just how much passion he brought to the project. And, uh, that documentary just really sold me on him as a creative force that needs to be attached to Mandalorian, hopefully for its full run. Uh, so I'm very glad to see that, that he's in the mix there. Um, when we first were listening or when we were first reviewing the first episode of Mandalorian and we had our first exposure to the score, I think we both commented on it in our review that it definitely had like very specific influences, but they caught us by surprise because it was such a departure from classical star Wars scores. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just think it's, it was brave and the right choice that they decided to go in a very dramatically different direction. And now watching the Mandalorian as a piece after the fact, now that I'm more comfortable with the production being its own creation and distinct from other star Wars fair, it works so well. It, it, it pulls in so much, uh, feeling of, you know, the, those pulp Westerns or pulp sci-fi or, or seventies, um, almost like, you know, like gritty cop drama type fair. Like there's just so much mm -hmm. in that score that continues to fascinate me when I hear it. And I love it. There's, there's a little Rocky sprinkled in there for no good reason other than to say like, we're just, we're, we're going back to a different time in cinema and just kind of come here with us, you know, and there was a lot more film grain. And, uh, I, I just, I, I think that that's a great nomination. I, I certainly hope he gets it. And my other standout is visual effects. For the same reason, I watched the the whole Disney gallery, uh, I think it's like a five or six part uh, mm -hmm. mini doc on Mandalorian, and they have an episode just on the breakthroughs that they made with uh, their visual virtual sets. Uh, they have a technology where they can use wraparound LED screens and render the backgrounds in real time so that they don't have to do any green screen compositing to get perfect otherworldly visuals. And when you realize how much of the show was shot on that one little digital led backlot that they created, it's, it's astounding, you know, that they can create such rich visuals for a show in real time and have it work so flawlessly with the real time camera motion. You know, you can do this stuff with handheld cameras. You can do it, you know, with all sorts of creative staging. And because the Mandalorian is such a reflective character in his armor, it would have been a nightmare for them to try and composite this in a traditional way with, with green screen reflection. So the fact that they solved that problem and they ushered in a technology that is seriously going to revolutionize filmmaking. Like you literally can put people in any environment now and have total freedom with the camera, just an amazing breakthrough. And the fact that this kind of show is what you need to be able to really push a technology like that forward. And that they had the, the, the skill and the talent and all the pieces that they could pull together to create that, uh, fascinating, absolutely fascinating. So I think those are the, the two most exciting nominations. And, and I hope that that calls more attention to the amazing work that's being done on that show. Cause that's, it's no small feat. Yeah. I mean, like you said, they, it completely revolutionized the industry. And this is something that I think if they don't win that specific category, I will be scratching yes. my head. Cause I just like, how often do you have something like this happen that changes not only the television industry, but it's going to change all of the way that we view films, yes, yes. TV, everything. It's, this is so like a once in insane. a 30 year uh, step forward in video or in you know movie creation. 
uh, yeah, a, an amazing thing to see. And uh, it, it's just, just so nice to be sort of like intimately acquainted with this show because we spend so much time covering it and, you know, reading up on it and to see the, the amazing stuff that's going on to, to make it great. Oh, <laughs> so yes, Emmys, listen up. There's two, there's two for yeah. you. Uh, and the ones that stuck out to me that as I was reading, I, w- I wasn't necessarily shocked, but I was kind of pleasantly surprised in seeing some of these. And the first one is, of course, Giancarlo Esposito, because he does such a phenomenal job and he has been so well at promoting <laughs> his part of Moff Gideon, like just just in his interviews thrown out there. He's like, yeah, you guys haven't seen anything yet. There's still a whole lot more cool stuff that's going on with Gideon in season two. Mm-hmm. Um, so his nomination, I really hope to see him win because he was so incredible. Like he, it's very rare that you get a character like that in television who's just kind of thrown in there at this level, at least. And the right. other time it's really happened to me was his previous part that he had as a chicken man on Breaking sure. Bad. He's just so good at doing that. Like what you see isn't what you're going to get. Like there's a lot more crazy and interesting things like he is a character that I think is talked about probably the most in this series when people are like, so was he Was he there at the fall of Mandalore? Was he there doing this? Mm. How did he get the dark saber? You know, all this type of stuff, which is just incredible. So I hope to see <laughs> him take that Emmy home. Yes, I, I will concur. Um, I think John Carlos Esposito, you're right. He's great on the stump. He's great in junkets because y- you can tell there's some enthusiasm there or he's just such a good actor that he's really selling it. Um, but yeah, he's been having a lot of fun teasing, oh, origins of the dark saber. And, you know, we're going to, we're going to dig into all that kind of stuff in the next season. Uh, so good for him for just being a good ambassador for Star Wars, but also just for totally capitalizing on the Gus Fring role. Like that, you know, he was an established actor and did some great stuff. He was in, the usual suspects and all sorts of stuff. Like it's not like he needed breaking bad, but that role solidified him as like the go-to super villain for any like really high end nerd fair, you know, like he has so much cred in the fandom community because of Gus Fring that you throw him into any, uh, type of, you know, superhero pulpy or just whatever, a fan, oriented show uh and he's an instant win that's why uh i think he's the supervillain in uh the boys as well you know more kind of like superhero comic fair and of course you know breaking bad and better call saul so he he definitely has the market cornered <laughs> on supervillains and why wouldn't star wars want that you know that's kind of what they were doing with peter cushing they were pulling in someone that had uh bonafide from you know all the old horror classics you know a face that instantly could just speak to that type of archetype um and john carlos Bezito, he's like this generation's version of that in some ways so yeah great he's uh he's having a moment for sure Yep. And then we have uh, Taika Wajidi getting nominated for a voiceover performance, <laughs> which that was one that that kind of stood out to me where I, was, I wasn't expecting that nomination to be on the list when they sure. announced it. But then looking back on it, it's just like, well, he does kind he does do a phenomenal job and you end up kind of sad when IG 11 yes, takes that walk in lava. And it's just like, that only happens because of his performance. Like you don't just get those emotions from a robot walking around uh, saying nothing. You get it from the actual performance. So well done there. And Mm -hmm. it made that nomination made me reflect on his performance where before I don't think I was doing much reflection on it. Yeah. Uh, His moment and quill, like those are two situations in the Mandalorian where 
the voice acting just really ascended to a whole nother level where you're so invested in these characters that really are, you know, special effects and prosthetics. And it's usually hard to connect with, you know, otherworldly characters or droids or whatever. Um, but yeah, they brought them to life. And, uh, I, so I, I think it's, you know, great that he's getting an attaboy for that. Uh, I don't know if that's the most important one for me, but just to acknowledge what Taika Watiti is bringing to the star Wars universe, you know, because mm-hmm. obviously he's not just, the voice of a droid. He also directed a couple of these episodes and he's carving out his place as an up and coming, like behind the scenes star, you know, they're giving him feature films. He's proven himself with Marvel. So Taika Waititi, just as a person who deserves some accolades, absolutely. And if this is the Avenue that will go to, you know, to get his name out there at the Emmys, sure. I'm okay with that. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then of course we have Mandalorian season two premiering in October of 2020. So, of course, John and I look forward to giving an episode by episode breakdown of The Mandalorian season two. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, <laughs> this I think is pretty obvious from our gushing over the last 20 minutes that uh, we're kind of into this series. It's it's mm-hmm. definitely established itself and proven its worth. And uh, who couldn't use a few more outings with Baby Yoda? Yep. Of course, Star Wars Resistance was nominated for Outstanding Children's Program. Mm-hmm. That one. That one really shocked me, um, and it also caused me to do some self-reflection because <laughs> while we looked at it and we had fun with a lot of this show, I wasn't necessarily just blown away by anything other than the uh, animation here, but it was nominated for Outstanding Children's Program, uh, and so that caused me to reflect on, well, maybe me as a grown adult missed <laughs> some things that were very valuable there. It could be that, or it could be a barren landscape. Like, if a show tries to be good children's fair that's all it really takes because 90 percent of what's out there is just total low-end formulaic schlock so one thing that lucasfilm always does they never phone in a production right like they, they never shoot low so even though we know that there was like a solid number of filler episodes you know adventures of the week let's go get some fuel kind of episodes there's still a lot in that show that is praiseworthy you mentioned the animation the sound design uh, the art direction, just period. Like it's a beautiful show to watch and they're all fun, well-drawn characters. They go places like by the end of it, you've seen growth in Kaz, you know, you've seen camaraderie build on Colossus. You've seen it dovetail into grander star Wars fair, where the stakes mm-hmm. continue to elevate to the end to where we're seeing some incredibly poignant and harsh death, you know, at the end of this show that was supposed to be geared yeah. towards seven-year-olds. So it took some big swings and it had some fantastic moments. So, you know, even though it wasn't the clone wars, you know, it's not going to go down in history as like the best of star Wars animated fair. I think if we listen back, there was enough times where we were recognizing that they were still trying to make a great show, even if they were dabbling with the idea of catering to a younger audience. And because of that, you know, it's a little more challenging for people Mm -hmm. like us to invest in it there was still a a lot of quality on display there. And that really does stand in stark contrast as a father of three who sees his fair share of Paw Patrol. I can tell you that most of what kids are binging isn't in in the same stratosphere as what they were shooting for with resistance. So I get it in a way. Yeah. Now, of course, Lucasfilm and Disney plus they released a couple of news items regarding the future of television shows. The biggest takeaways for me, was of course Obi-Wan and Cassian those 
shows are still happening. So there's not much to talk about there. We <laughs> haven't really received a whole lot of insight. We just received, yes, they're happening. Mm-hmm. As of right now, yes, Ewan McGregor is still Obi-Wan. It's all going forward. Everything, of course, has been pushed back because of COVID-19, but that's happening. Now, a bomb was dropped with a couple of things, and the first bomb (laughs) was the Bad Batch. Yes. So we're getting a Bad Batch TV series on Disney+. Plus. Now, whenever I saw this announcement, me and you, we were talking about this whenever (laughs) Clone Wars uh, came back, um, and we were both just like, okay, they're setting up some sort of finale with these characters. Someone's going to sacrifice themselves. Turns out those first four episodes of Clone Wars were to set up for this TV series. Or or they're just capitalizing on the opportunity because yeah. they, they spent a lot of time investing in you know a, a whole platoon that, at least as far as Clone Wars is concerned, we never saw again. So it was a, a whole lot of character building seemingly for nothing. But someone looked at it and said, you know what? Those guys are a lot of fun. And you can go places when you have mm-hmm. uh, so much like conflict and just... Um, sort of like wildcard antics because they're not just your standard clone troopers. How much more entertaining is it to watch them sort of struggle with their own eccentricities? Like we saw in those episodes, uh, what kind of adventures could they get on? Uh, I could totally see them doing a limited run series just, just on that. Uh, I don't know how long they're planning on running that for, but you know, even if we only got eight episodes of it or, you know, whatever they're planning to do, I would revisit those characters. I would watch that. And we know that, uh, you know, they ramped up production on clone Wars, So we know that, all the people that are necessary to turn out a really good episode of that particular style of star Wars animated fair. Uh, they're all still good at it. You know, <laughs> they really brought the finale home. So, uh, I don't see any reason to lay them off. <laughs> like let's, let's get them working. Let's get them some fresh scripts. Absolutely. Uh, I just, I hope that the, the pitch for this is the a team meets star Wars. Like if someone at Lucasfilm said, that's what we can do with these characters. Like they, they have a heart of gold, but they're all just like bizarre, half broken characters that, you know, they, they just struggle to function in normal society, but they, they have a calling and they need to step in and do what's right and, and win the day. If it's something along those lines, I will, I will gladly tune in for that. Yeah. And I think at least the, if it's multiple seasons, I think at least the first season will be kind of that origin story showing them in, like sure. you said, the A teams or like an expendables t- type exactly, of yeah. role where they're going out and they're doing all these crazy missions. Uh, so uh, definitely a whole lot of potential for some crazy animated action going on with these guys. We saw some of the tools that they had, of course, in the first four episodes of the Clone Wars returning. Yeah, other than that, uh, I'm I'm excited to see what they're going to do with it because this is another one of those things that we haven't really seen. And I know they're going off the coattails of the Clone Wars, so I'm sure it's going to be a lot of reminiscent stuff of that as well. I think they actually said that it's supposed to pick up with them after the Siege of Mandalore. Oh, so okay. I think we're looking forward into the post order 66 world. I think yeah. that's, that's kind of how they're going to frame it. So it's, it's good to be able to check in on the galaxy because that can serve as a fun backdrop where, you know, everything's sort of crumbling around them and the empire is ascendant. And it's like, what do we make of this new world where now, you know, we have to go rogue and our chips didn't work. So, you know, we're, we're yeah. the few guys left that can kind of, you know, somehow I- impact maybe some positive change in a dark world. Uh, I think that that's maybe the starting point, but you know, we'll see it's, it's obviously still in flux. Yeah. And like you said, that could be something that, you know, their chips aren't working. Where did they fit in the galaxy at this point? So yeah, there's a whole lot of potential there to go anywhere they really want. Like they're Mm -hmm. kind of in this area of, 
Like, well, we don't really need to worry about continuity issues. We don't need to make sure that Anakin doesn't right. come into contact with General Grievous because <laughs> yes. uh, that yeah, was no, they're, they're free that, and clear. They're into uncharted mm-hmm. territory. Yeah, so I'm excited to see what they're going to do with that. Now, there's another bomb that has dropped <laughs> that has caused quite a bit of speculation and debate on all social media platforms, of course, because that's what happens when sure. Disney and Star Wars say something. But a quote-unquote Lando series coming about. Now, John, like I said, there's a lot of rumors about this Disney Plus series turning into what people hope is going to be Solo 2. Now, what is your take on this, and what should us speculators be careful of? Yeah, okay, so that's 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 the first thing we got to hit, because maybe you've heard something beyond what I've heard, but the way I understand it, Aaron Reich had said quite a while back that, oh yeah, there's, you know, we've had some conversations and the ideas are being floated or whatever, but nothing's solidified. So we already know that these guys are under contract. You know, they were expecting to spin off some more movies with them. So they're all still kind of in the Lucasfilm family. If Lucasfilm wants to create a project with them. So that being the case, I'm assuming that those loose conversations that have been happening for months, you know, ever since people, watch solo again and said, Hey, you know what? This movie wasn't shooting so high, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> you know, like we like these characters and Donald Glover, man, he really, he really knocks it out of the park. And like, it's because we're not in the wake of the last Jedi anymore. I, I think people are starting to realize that they would like to go on some more adventures with those characters. And they're starting to accept Aaron Reich as solo and like mm-hmm. all of that baggage and, and sort of that darker mood of the fandom. Now that we've had some distance from it, I think Lucasfilm is probably realizing that uh, there's no reason to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, sure, it was a flop, but they set up some good stuff that they could continue to parlay into new projects. So I think what's happening is conversations are being had because they want to lock all these actors down and mm-hmm. make sure that if they want to ramp up a project that everyone's on board with it and you know they've got all the pieces that they need. So I think that all the speculation up to this point, it's all basically the same project. It's yeah. just basically somewhere in the solo verse. It's somewhere in that general time period following the solo movie. We know the trajectory of all those characters that they're all involved with syndicates or they're, you know, heading off to bring the huts into the picture, whatever it is. We know that there's already been a lot of development into that corner of the universe at that time period, because we know even the solo movie had different incarnations and there was going to be like a, maybe a bounty hunter sort of like side story that was going to run alongside that timeline. So we know that there's a lot of pieces uh, that they could pull together and make more properties out of. And now TV is really the only place to to play right now. (laughs) You know, everyone's home for the foreseeable future. The movie industry as a whole is still in flux. So of course, Lucasfilm is going to be trying to gather as much of the assets that they have and pull them into projects. So I think the Lando stuff is the same as the Alden Ehrenreich stuff and all the other stuff surrounding that time period that we're hearing about, I think it's all the same project. And I think it's still very, very unformed at this point. But if you've heard anything more than speculation and Lando is official as far as a press release from Lucasfilm, then that's great. Now we know what all that was building towards, but I don't think we're at that point. I haven't seen that myself at least. No. Yeah. There has been nothing that has really confirmed or denied that this is all you know one singular project what they uh, what was announced was basically you know something is going on (laughs) like you said and i think that disney is still in the place like obviously they're five steps ahead of us speculators 
But they're, I think they're still in a place on something's going on. Let's just get everything, like you said, let's get everything locked in and then let's build around that and let's start this whole process. Um, it could be a Lando centric thing. It could be a solo centric thing. It could be a just every season you have a different take on a smuggler or bounty hunter thing. Who knows what it is? We just know these guys are under contract, like you said, <laughs> yeah. and eventually contracts expire if they don't do anything right. with it. And right now you have some hot names, Amelia Clark, Donald Glover. You have these people that are lot like, and even Aaron, right now um, at the point since solo has come out, a lot of people have been demanding, let's see some more with him. Um, and so, yeah, they have to execute on these contracts or lose these guys. And then they definitely don't want to be in that situation where, you know, they turn into a Ben Affleck Batman situation where right. eventually they just lose this whole thing because they couldn't get the deal done so i think right. that's what they're doing right now they're locking them in and saying hey we have a project that's going on your contract is still valid uh yeah let's get the deal done yeah you got to respect disney and their shrewdness and how they've positioned themselves you know they they launched disney plus right before the whole covid stuff dropped and i think that that might be disney saving grace because everything that they were expecting to throw in the movie theaters to continue to make them billions of dollars year over year. All of that stuff is up in the air right now. So mm -hmm. there has to be a lot of people at Disney saying, you know what? Just green light anything that we can get onto Disney plus, because yeah. that's where the money is going to be made. We need subscribers. We need that revenue. We need something stable. People are home. We've got the eyeballs, but it ain't going to be in the theater for the time being. And so I think that it's kind of this perfect storm where everyone at Lucasfilm is scrambling and saying, what can we do? You know, what have we got that's far enough along that we can really get a home run uh, with the assets that we have in play? You know, the people that are under contract and the stories that are resonating with the fans. And because Solo doesn't have as much baggage as it once did, and everyone in the Star Wars fandom is clamoring for stuff, and COVID has pushed back theatrical fare for several years now. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know what else are they going to be doubling down on? But anything that that they were developing that was in pre-production, anything that they were going to attempt to move forward, maybe even for a potential theatrical release. A lot of that stuff is going to be spun up into TV shows now. And in a, in a way, I think it's the best thing that could happen to star Wars. Yeah. I, I think that this is a really great way to reacquaint people with star Wars in ways that doesn't generate as much, uh, you know, immediate division and controversy. TV right. shows feel like they're lower stakes, but we've already proven with the Mandalorian that you can deliver great star Wars in a TV format and even better, you know, you get more time yeah. to work with more time with your characters. So this is kind of where star Wars needs to be. And, uh, it, it's actually the, the most exciting aspect of, uh, star Wars for me right now is what they're going to be willing to put money into. And just all the more so because, you know, everyone's home and no one's going to the movie. So yep. why not give us all you can give us and we'll watch it. And, uh, just happy to see it. Well, and we also are in a post MCU world <laughs> yes. where it took the Marvel universe to have 20 something films mm -hmm. to get to their big, you know, this is a story we wanted to tell this whole time. We've been building up to it type of situation. And I think that hurt this current or this previous trilogy with star wars where a lot of people are like you know finn i need more than three films with him yeah. i need more than three films with ray i need more than three films right. uh with poe and i think a lot of that is because you had 20 something films 
to go through and show this superhero universe. And even though, yes, each character only got about three uh, <laughs> solo films, they also got, you know, three more, six films in total where they're working with other people. Right. And, and that's definitely huge. And I think that this is this is the way if you <laughs> sure. if you can stick with me here because you do like you said get to spend more time with these characters and things age better like you also pointed out where we can have like showing some background without being worried we have to get this done in two hours right. you can show this and be like we got 10 hours to mess around with this we got eight hours to mess around with it and i mean everyone and i think myself included ever since they announced the obi-wan stuff I always wanted it to be a TV show because I was like, I want to see individual adventures here. I don't want to see a movie where you have two hours yeah. that is going to feel rushed because that's what's going to happen with with an Obi-Wan project. Mm -hmm. Unless you have, you know, eight episodes that are even 30 minutes each, you get more time with those characters. So I think, like you said, it's the best thing to happen. So much has already proven a success for Disney Plus and even with the recent dropping of Hamilton, you see that people are like, yep, we're locked in here. <laughs> yep. uh, we're going to we're, we're going to look at this and we're going to watch it and we love it. And so people like that. It doesn't mean the death of cinema, but for now, this is the future of Star Wars. And I think it's a good choice. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, Disney's got my money. Just keep throwing stuff on Disney Plus. I'll keep watching it. That's the, that's the deal. Now, we have a long way until we get some new Star Wars uh, TV series. It's a long way to October. <laughs> so, John and I, we're going to be doing something else a little bit different. So, John, do you want to give us the rundown of that? Yeah. So, uh, we've been walkabout for the last couple months uh, with this whole Duel of the Fate stuff. But we've uh, put a bookend on all that now. And we're going to be jumping back into our regular format. So, we are going to be attempting to cover some Star Wars TV fair on a weekly basis uh, from here on out. Uh, I'm going to be camping for a little bit of time, a little later in the summer. So, I mean, we're going to have a little bit of fuzziness with our schedule, but for the most part, uh, we are going to get back into our groove and uh, continue to review Star Wars fair up until we revisit the Mandalorian in October. Uh, so specifically, we're going to look at the Disney plus gallery series that I was talking about earlier, which is a, uh, I believe six part featurette documentary about the making of the first season of the Mandalorian. They, talk with the directors they kind of look at each unique aspect of the production whether it be visual effects sound design the actors stunts all that kind of stuff so uh there's a, a lot of meat there that we can kind of chew on and uh that'll just help enrich our understanding of the series and hopefully our listeners as well as we lead up to season two of the Mandalorian. And if we run short on that, then we're going to jump back on some of the early seasons of the clone wars and uh, rebels. And we'll start picking up where we left off with season one of each of those series. And uh, yeah, we'll just continue to watch star Wars TV until we get some new star Wars TV. That is our master plan. And uh, our schedule should be similar to how it's been up to this point where we try to release things uh, usually late Sunday uh, in anticipation of your Monday morning commute if you are not working from home. Uh, but yeah, we're going to try and have a, a new episode out pretty much every week. And then in October, we'll uh, watch The Mandalorian. Absolutely. And John, you also have a plethora of SNL episodes over at your another podcast. So is there yes. anything new going on there or where can people find to listen to some old stuff? 
Well, uh, obviously SNL is on hiatus, not just for the summer, but also because nobody knows what's going to be happening in the fall with the new season. Uh, so we've been looking at some cut for time material from those three uh, SNL at home uh, editions that they put out back in uh, April and May. Once we're done that, we're going to look at some SNL vintage stuff to round out the summer, hopefully bring in some of our friends from uh, the comedy scene in New York and Austin and uh, LA and, uh, you know, just peek back on SNL and look at some high watermarks for the show. And uh, then we'll see what happens in the fall. We just don't know what October is going to bring. I know we're going to be chatting about Mandalorian, at least that much we know, but SNL, that's all up in the air. So uh if you're interested in our coverage or want to find out what's going on with SNL, we'll be continuing to drop any news that we hear on our feed over at SNL After Party. And if you haven't already, please click that subscribe button for this podcast, Star Wars TV Talk. You can search for us wherever you get your podcast and please leave us a nice five star review. You can find more TV Talk podcasts at tvtalk.fm. Thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you always.